sat in the second row where he usually sat at synagogue. He'd been coming for a couple of years now uh, and was, was really enjoying his newfound faith. The church kids were being a little rowdy outside that morning and, and he hoped that their parents would quiet, down, uh, before, quiet them down before the meeting started. He'd heard that the leader of the church in Jerusalem had written a letter and they were going to get to hear it today in church. It wasn't every day that a, that a Jewish commoner like him could, could hear the actual words of the brother of Jesus, the Messiah. As he looked around, he saw the usual folks. There was Sarah, his neighbor, and her four kids. He waved. And there was Judah, the carpenter, and his family. He recognized the family coming up the lane, but he couldn't remember their names. They're good, solid, salt-of-the-earth family. As he, as he turned back around, he, he noticed someone slowly edging their way in the back of the room. She wore all black, obviously a widow, and her, her robe was in tatters and it hung loosely over her, her emaciated frame. He'd seen her in the town square before, begging for food and water, but she'd never dared darken the doors of the church before. And as he was thinking about what he thought about a street urchin attending his church... His attention was diverted to a hubbub out in front. Someone had just arrived on a horse, no less. As the man dismounted, the the train of his outer robe billowed out and and, uh, revealed an exquisitely tailored garment underneath. Was that gold stitching? And and as the man uh, came around and prepared to enter the church, the the sun glinted off something down uh, down at his side. It was was on his hand, rings, golden rings, uh, large and shining in the sunlight. Well, they, they didn't get wealthy travelers like that at church every week. The man in the second row uh, rose to get a closer look, and several other people had already approached the rich man and were, were talking to him about where he was from and what he did and where he was going. And as they did, they ushered him inside and guided him to a seat on the front row, the best seat in the house. And while they were showing him where to sit, they also showed him where the offerings were given, should he be so inclined, which he was. The sound of clanging coins still echoed off the stone walls of the synagogue as the pastor stood, scroll in hand, and began to lead the service. After a time of prayer, the reading of the the law and the psalms, then the pastor unrolled the newly arrived letter from James, from Jerusalem, addressed specifically to them and to all of the other Jewish Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. His, his voice was loud and strong as he read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. The man on the second row had to lean to his left to be able to see the pastor around the flowing garments of the rich man front row he'd almost forgotten about the poor widow in tatters that he'd caught a glimpse of earlier that is until he heard the words of James in this letter begin to describe virtually verbatim the scene that had just unfolded minutes ago in his church the pastor read my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. That's James chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. And as we continue our study of the book of James today, we see that, that not a lot has changed in a couple thousand years. Back then, it appears that, that people used to treat others poorly, discriminating based on outer superficial issues. And the same still happens today. Whether because of socioeconomic status or church affiliation or political views or who we root for, uh, I mean, go Bucks, right? Uh, but... We can't say the M word in here, right? Where we're from, literally the color of someone's skin. Uh, You'd have to be living under a rock not to know that, quote, favoritism, as James calls it, is still alive and well in our culture in 2020. Over over the past few months, uh, with high-profile cases of racial discrimination in the news and and protests in the streets, uh, these issues are especially relevant. And as we hear God speak through James, uh, what does he say? It's kind of pretty simple. Believers in Jesus must not show favoritism, he says. And later on in the passage, verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin. In this passage, at the beginning of chapter 2, James is really just, just drilling, on, drilling down on something we saw last week. We, we said that, he said the true religion, as God our Father accepts, is pure and faultless as this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. He's kind of fleshing that out here, isn't he? Uh, Christ followers should not be polluted by the world. And now he's describing one big way in which the church followers of Christ in that day uh, has, have been polluted. This pollution can manifest itself as showing favoritism. Here James specifically addresses what we might call class discrimination, right? So showing favoritism to someone uh, with more money or influence in the community. But, but the principle rings true no matter what the specific issue. Uh, preferential treatment of one group of people over another is wrong. People, institutions, and systems which promote injustice, oppression, and discrimination do not please God. How do we know? Well, it's not really something that James came up with. It wasn't new to him. It's actually all over Scripture. (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament. We'll look at a couple of those verses now. Deuteronomy 10, 17. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and takes no bribes. Job 34, 19, he doesn't care how great a person may be and he doesn't pay any more attention to the rich than to the poor. He made all of them. Galatians 2, 6, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me for God has no favorites. Ephesians 6, 9, masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no 
favorites. Romans 2, 10 and 11. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first, also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Colossians 3.25, but if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Acts chapter 10, when Peter uh, was was led to the Gentiles and, and he had talked to Cornelius uh, and as this was blowing his mind and, and he realized that God came to him in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35. It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts every, from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Because God does not show favoritism, James emphasized in his letter to the early church, believers in Jesus, followers of God, should not show show favoritism either. If you show favoritism, you sin. If we're going to live like God, we won't discriminate. There is no place for it in the body of Christ. And I'm guessing that you'd agree with that. If you were amening people, you you would probably say amen. I know you're not, so I'm not expecting it. That's good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Yes, no discrimination, right? Yeah, that's right. Followers of Jesus shouldn't show favoritism. Yes, I agree. I agree. Amen. 100%. But do we? Uh, even in asking that question, you might start to get defensive. I ask, but do we? And and, uh, you might say, hey, hey, pastor, back off. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't discriminate, I'm not racist, I, I, I love everybody, and don't worry, I believe you, I know that you do. I, I've, I've, we've lived life together for a long time. I, I, I don't think most of us would intentionally speak out against or do anything to harm someone of a different race or class or gender or, or whatever the difference might be there. But could we be willing to consider this morning, maybe just for a few minutes today, that each of us are at least capable of showing favoritism? Could we consider that there may be things that we might say or do or think, perhaps out of complete ignorance, that perpetuate a bias that we're hardly aware of? Years ago, not even in Ohio, that many years ago when I was living uh, somewhere else. Uh, I was working out in my yard and there was a, an older Christian man uh, that, that was working there with me. I, I respect uh, this man to this day. And, and uh, we're, we're, I think we're working, in the, I know we were digging, so we must have been working in the garden something and, and uh, as we're working side by side, a movement caught our eyes and, and we noticed two school-aged boys running through the ravine behind our house. They were both black and it was the middle of the afternoon, and I assumed that they were taking a shortcut home after school, and I went back to digging. My work partner's first thought, though, was a little different than mine. He immediately thought that those uh, black boys were probably up to no good. They'd most likely done something illegal, and they were running from the scene of the crime. And he wanted me to call 911 because something must be up. His immediate assumption, because they were black and running, was that they'd committed a crime. Uh, This man was and is a a man in love with Jesus, and he lives it out uh, uh, every day. Uh, But there are a few things, uh, were a few things below the surface that that, that maybe, uh, you know, he wasn't even uh, 
didn't even know, unintentional assumptions formed by his upbringing, formed by, by his context and culture that reeked of discrimination. I didn't call 911 that day. And while I'd like to shake my head at that story and, and at that man's assumptions, I also know that I'm capable of the same. Could we at least consider the possibility that we might have some biases like that under the surface in our own hearts and lives too? We're, we're, we're tempted to read passages like James chapter 2 and, and immediately apply it to others, right? Uh, but, but we need to remember, remember last week, the word of God is a mirror and we don't usually use a mirror to point at other people, right? The mirror needs to point at ourselves. And so we need to let this truth point at our own lives first before we turn it to face anyone else. Now, I know that we're the church, right? We're the, we're the body of Christ. We're not prejudiced. We love people. I mean, we live to love people to life for Pete's sake, right? Well, not for my sake, for, for, for God's sake, right? We, we live to, that's, that's who we are, right? It's, it's what we do. And, and yet, there still might be times that we make assumptions. There might, there might be ways that we use terms that we should, we, we refer to people as us and them or uh, those people, or we, uh, we lower our voice when we talk about certain minority groups or something like that. Uh, black, Hispanic, Baptist. Oh, no, wait, we can't, can't go there, right? Millennials, right? Those millennials. Any differences can, can become points of conflict where we're favoring one group, usually our group, over, over others, right? Uh, for James in the early church, it was showing preferential treatment to someone who might benefit them and the church, this, this rich person that, that comes into their meeting. That never happens any, anymore, though, does it? No, no we, we, don't, we don't show preferential treatment to... I, I heard a story of a, of a guy who called the, the church one day and, and uh, talked to the secretary, and, and uh, he said he asked if he could speak to the head hog at the trough. And the secretary said, who? And he said, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. And now she realized that she was hearing correctly and he was referring to the pastor and and so she came back rather indignant and said sir if you mean our pastor you will need to treat him with more respect i mean uh, you need to ask for the reverend or 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 the pastor but certainly you cannot refer to him as the head hog at the trough and this man said, well, okay, I, I understand that, but um, you just need to know that I have a, a $10,000 donation that I was thinking about giving to the building fund, and, and so I needed to talk to him about it. And the secretary paused for a second and then said, hold the line, I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> Preferential treatment for those with money or power or position. I mean, that's, that's favoritism, right? That's discrimination. It's, James says that that's sin. Any type of discrimination is sin. But it, it actually kind of comes naturally to us. I, I mean, we, we tend to favor those who are like us or those who can benefit us. That just seems like that's, that's how we're wired a little bit. So we've got to push against that. Pastor Rick Warren, in an interview I heard recently, uh, said this. Um, I think it was Einstein, he says, who said that racism is the sin of white, go ahead, there it is. Racism is the sin of white people. Warren says, I actually disagree with him. I've been to 164 countries. I think it's the most common sin in the world. Pastor Warren goes on to say in that interview that, that, that wherever there are groups of people, where, then there are differences. 
And people discriminate based on those differences. Whether it's tribes in Africa or communities in big cities or, or wherever, people look down on others who are different than themselves. And why do we do this? Uh, there's a whole host of reasons, uh, I, I'm sure. Uh, there's, there's fear, uh, the desire for power, uh, insecurity. I want to make sure I protect what I have and my, and, and I don't know you and your, and so I'm going to kind of, you know, uh, circle the wagons. I, I'm no sociologist. I think one main reason is that we just don't understand each other. We haven't lived uh, lives like those folks have lived. We haven't been in their culture. We haven't heard the things that they've heard and experienced and seen. And even more, I think not only do we not understand, we don't try to understand. I mean, I for one get, get so caught up in, in doing things the way I, uh, the doing things the, thing, the things that I like and, and the way that I like and, and I don't even think about approaching life from a different perspective. And, and uh, I mean, if I do it, then it must be the right way, right? Not just my way, but the right way. And so, so I would look down on someone else's. And we don't even try to understand someone else's point of view. Exactly one year ago, I was waking up after a very short night's sleep in a small compound nestled in the foothills of the Andes Mountains in Chilca, Peru. Uh, that, that Sunday, 52 weeks ago today, uh, that, that one year ago today, we, we, uh, we walked through that, that, that little town, if you can call it that, made up of shacks with tarps for roofs and pallets for walls and dirt for floors. And there were chickens and stray dogs and, and half-clothed children in the streets. And initially it was very easy for me to think, well, I have a much better life than this. I have so much to offer these people. My white affluent American brand of Jesus can do wonders for these darker-skinned poor people living on the backside of nowhere. And I had to repent of those thoughts. Because my white, affluent, American brand of Jesus isn't any better than their experience with him. And who's to say that my middle-class existence in small-town USA is any better than their Peruvian lifestyle? It's different, for sure. But better, I don't think so. We were only there a week, but in the short time uh, there, we grew to love those people. We heard their stories and experiences, their frustrations and their dreams. We ate their food. We rode their buses. We walked their streets. We shopped in their stores. We laughed with them. We prayed with them. We were not there to bring our Savior to the hills of Peru. He was already there. It is very easy to look down on those we don't take the time to understand. And to lift up others who are more like us. Who are more like we want to be. James says that when we don't attempt to get to know others to prove our prejudice is wrong, he says we're sinning. Ignoring is not a solution to favoritism and discrimination. So what is the solution? Well, James hits that. He, he, he tells us point blank what it is. Uh, appealing to those, those Jewish Christians who had no doubt grown up memorizing and following the Ten Commandments and the law of God uh, in, the, in the first, what we know as the first five books of the, of the Bible, of the Old Testament, the Torah. Uh, he, he quoted uh, the, the summary of what those laws were. In verses 8 and 9, he says uh, it's what he calls the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
James told uh, those, uh, those folks in those churches that the antidote to showing favoritism is love. He was quoting Leviticus 19.18. Uh, they would have known it by heart, no doubt. Paul emphasized the same thing in Romans 13. Uh, Romans 13, 9 and 10, he says, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, uh, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving our neighbors fulfills the laws, all of them. It it, it rules over the laws. That's one reason uh, James said it's the royal law. It's ruling over all the others. It's the summary of them all. Another reason James might have called it the royal law was because King Jesus had taught this same thing. Now, the Gospels uh, probably had not been written in the way that we know them today, but when James wrote this letter, they, uh, many scholars think that James's letter is one of the earliest of the New Testament uh, uh, works that we have in our scripture today. And, and so, uh, but, but the stories of the Gospel and the Jesus stories had been uh, prevalent all through uh, the, the Christian culture of that time, and so they would have known that Jesus taught this same thing. We know it in Luke chapter 10 when a, when a law expert uh, came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus' answer was that a person must love God completely and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer uh, didn't want it to be quite that easy and so he said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to that question explained the solution to discrimination and favoritism. His answer was the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I, it's, it's that story, you probably know the story, where the, the guy who's looked down on because of his own ethnicity, because he's from Samaria, those folks up there, but he ends up being the one who gives care and concern to the guy in need and spends time with him and heals him at his own expense. Who is my neighbor? Let me tell you this story, Jesus says. What is the answer to racism and discrimination in our society today? Love your neighbor. And more than just talking about it, Jesus expects our love for others to be a personal love that takes time to get to know someone, to lift them up, uh, to do all that we can to heal their wounds and brokenness. There's room for offhanded comments or whispering or treating people poorly. There's no place for allowing biased systems to keep oppressing people When we have the power to act, real love includes, real love mends a broken relationship. Real love listens, it learns, it tries to understand. James says, love your neighbor. It all comes down to love. Why? Well, because although we have so many differences... Ethnicity, denominational affiliation, geography, social status, whatever you want to fill in the blank there. We have so many differences, but we really all have the same story. We are sinners in need of the grace and love of God. The same God that created and loves me, created and loves the inner city gang member and the Baptists across town and the beggar in the gutter and the indigenous people of Peru. He made them, he loves them in spite of their faults and failings. Just like he loves me in spite of mine. I, I don't have all the answers to uh, the racial tensions in our culture today. I don't know how to address all of the nuanced issues of poverty and wealth. 
I don't, I don't have political strategies or social services to implement or, or sweeping changes that I can pass through Congress that will bring overdue relief. What I can do is love my neighbor. And you can too. What I can do is recognize that I have the capacity to sometimes lean toward favoritism. And I need to know that so I can fight against it. And you can too. I can, I can try to learn and listen. I can, I can intentionally place myself in surroundings that are uncomfortable. So that I can know how to better love people with whom I may not have a lot in common. And you can too. Just like that day in the synagogue when the, the truth of God conveyed through this letter from James, confronted the church on these issues that they'd been guilty of. Maybe we need to let these truths confront us so that we can honestly evaluate, repent where needed, and then move forward in love. Because as pastors in synagogues all across the the Roman Empire around the middle of the first century, read the words of James. Those same words ring true to us today. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Will you stand with me? Let's just bow our heads for a second. Father God, we offer ourselves to you. In these uh, uh, politically charged days messages like this may uh, may be pushed away in the in these days of uh, of of chaos <laughs> lord i just pray that you will you will help us to open ourselves to what you want to speak to us today we thank you for the ways that you have you have uh, spoken and and changed us perhaps in the past that 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 uh, many of us can look back and and see places and circumstances and times when when we've said or thought or done things that that uh, showed favoritism to one group over another we thank you for your forgiveness in that. Lord, I, I pray if there's, if there's anyone uh, hearing this message today and, and you are pointing something out, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be defensive, but that we'll, we'll in humility look and see what that's all about and offer ourselves to you in response. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we go from here today, as we have the privilege of, of living life in, uh, in this great community where you've placed us, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to places that will stretch us and grow us. That you'll lead us to places where we can love people to abundant life in you. I pray that you would change us. And as we're changed, that you would use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this time that we have together today. We, We thank you for the things that you're preparing us to do even this coming week. We pray that your spirit would, uh, would lead the way as we submit to your leadership in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.